Hello, ye old faithful listeners. Just a language warning on this episode for any younger ears that may be listening. Also, just a heads up, our beloved Talissa Bazaz kind of sort of a little bit forgot to turn her microphone on. So we did use the inbuilt microphone from her laptop for about the first half of this episode. Bear with us. We're recording remotely. There's a pandemic. Sue us. Uh, Don't sue us. We don't have any money. But yeah, hang in there and then the microphone will go back to normal halfway through for her. But she's loud enough, so it doesn't really matter. You'd hear her from Timbuktu. Anyways, let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Fierce Females of History podcast, stories of women that you should know about. I'm Erin. I'm Talissa. And I'm Lucy. <laughs> that is that is who we are. True, true. You've settled into your new pad. Yeah, it's beautiful. We still need to get dining chairs, but once we have that, it'll be done. We'll have to have a, a house warming, I think. And um, you delightful listeners, if you email us, we might invite you. well we can in australia well in new south actually no all australia now we can we don't have a limit on how many guests we can have over and we can also have dance parties again so so keen to dance do your two-week quarantine international listeners and then maybe you can come boogie yeah come from greenland anyways i feel like i feel like we're we're gloating the limit does not exist (laughs) someone who i'd like to see there though if i may is jason Mm. who emailed us Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And was very, very sweet and loved the Frida Kahlo episode, which was really nice, and put a bit of suggestion in. And I don't know if I'm going to say it because maybe I'll do her soon. Yeah, don't say it. If you don't do it, I will for sure. Yeah, actually, I think it's a you a you one, Erin. I think you'll really. She's coming for you, Jason. Don't <laughs> yeah, <worry>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jason. But today it is Lucy's turn. Yes. What are you talking about today, Lucy? Well, who rather? Today I'm telling you the story of Pancho Barnes, the story of a woman oh, right. who, even in death, belonged in the cockpit. No way! Hey. So, another pilot on our hands? Yes, but I'm not obsessed with pilots. I actually picked this woman because she just sounded like she knew how to have one hell of a good time. So, Ooh. let's dive in, shall we? So Pancho Barnes was born July 22, 1901 as Florence Leontine Lowe, which is a very fancy name, in Pasadena, California, to a very fancy family. Her family had a mansion that had 32 rooms. Casual. What do you do with 32 rooms? Why do you need 32? So excessive. It's like it's it's a lot, isn't it? So that tells you a fair bit about her upbringing. Um, and as she was growing up, her dad wanted her to really enjoy the outdoors and she was quite physical, active little kid, becomes a skilled, pede- skilled pedestrian. Skilled pedestrian. She was very good at crossing the road. <laughs> <laughs> hey, being a pedestrian these days in the world of an iPhone is a skill. Yeah. That's actually, that's the beginning and the end of the story. She was the world's best um, <laughs> person at crossing the road. She just knew how to stop, wait, look, listen, <laughs> and walk, and she... Never faulted, no accidents, zero beeps. That's Pancho Barnes. Thanks for listening, guys. Let's give it up, Pancho Barnes. <laughs> Never jaywalked. Never jaywalked. Not once. She was a skilled pedestrian. 
Amazing. And also a skilled equestrian, I assume. And uh, yeah, so she was actually very good at crossing the road while riding a horse. Wow. Which is doing two things at the same time. Amazing. Um, we can only hope. Uh, okay, so she's obviously a skilled equestrian, which means someone who rides horses. Um, and she's um, the granddaughter of this guy called Thaddeus S.C. Lowe, and he established America's first military air unit, which was called the Army of the Potomac Balloon Corps during the Civil War, which I didn't know they used balloons in like a military capacity. And it was a civilian operation which used um, aeronauts and seven balloons to perform recon um, on the Confederate States Army. He was one of the few veteran balloonists who was working on an attempt to cross the um, Atlantic by balloon and then, yeah, they ended up just floating these big balloons into the sky to spy, which is cool. Did you say Confederate, though? He, they were spying on the Confederates. Oh, we like that. Yes, spying on the yeah. Confederates. Maybe, yeah, maybe the tactic was they thought it would be more stealthy, but it's a very slow getaway. That's my only <laughs> qualm. Yeah, you kind, of, you kind of think, you know, one good shot. And it's all over, isn't it's it? It's all over. Yeah. <laughs> Still. Okay, so that's her granddad. He founded this, which is considered one of the first military air units um, in America, and he does it with balloons, which is very cool. He's also known as the most shot-at man in the Civil War, which might make sense if he's in the hot air balloon because everyone would be like, if we can just get that guy. And he's like moving at a snail's pace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's like, I'm watching you. I can see what you're doing. I know where you're going and I'm counting your guns. Yeah. The early 1900s, no one knew what was they were doing in the early 1900s. People still don't know what they're doing. So can we really judge? <laughs> So yeah, he's um he's he sounds like a real real character. Um, but apparently the cool gene skips a generation because her parents sound like a bunch of you know wet blankets. Fancy family. She goes to the best schools, but she's a naughty kid. So they're the best schools and they're progressively stricter. It's like boarding school, stricter boarding school, really strict boarding school, convent. She winds up at a convent because that's what often happens to women in the stories that I choose to tell. Everyone's like, we don't know what to do with her. Jesus. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so she goes to a convent. Then when she turns 18, she's married off to this guy called Reverend C. Rankin Barnes, who sounds like a really fun time. As far as I can tell, the only thing that this guy gave her was a son and a new last name. Now, he was 10 years older than Pancho, and after they get married, it takes three days for them to have sex. Um, and the morning after they do it for the first time, he says, I do not like sex. It makes me nervous. I see nothing to it and I do not wish to have any more of it. Girl, run. Believe it or not, this actually, this was the last time that they slept together. This was literally it. They did it once, in and out, job's done. And they did have a baby. So she did fall pregnant that quote unquote first and only time. Quote unquote first and only time, which not impossible, but it also makes me wonder were there some men at the convent? Mm. Was there some other mm. stuff going on or was she? Mm. I don't know. But they do they do have a baby. They have a baby son called William. He's born October 9, 1921. Needless to say, her marriage to the Reverend doesn't last and she ends up leaving him and her son for a few months in 1924 when her mum dies and she scoops up the inheritance. Now she uses this money to spend four months abroad in Mexico where she just apparently travels around in a freighter 
um, dressed as a man and picks up the name Pancho. And apparently this was because someone was referring to her as Sancho, who is the famous companion of Don Quixote, but they got muddled up, called her Pancho, and the name stuck. <laughs> That's random. Yeah. Everything about this story is random. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> she went to go find herself and came back as Pancho. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um that's she's pancho barnes and she just she just chills out for a while she goes on luxury cruise liners and in 1928 she returns to pasadena california after both of her parents have died with an inheritance and she knows a lot of people by this stage i guess she's rubbing shoulders with the rich and powerful like betty davis and then she decides she wants to learn to fly she sounds like she's living the dream at the moment. Truly. Eating heaps of guacamole. People think she's a man, so she's probably getting more done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rubbing mm-hmm. shoulders with Betty Davis. I mean. She's cool. That's the life, baby. Comes home to an inheritance, did you say? Yeah. She's got to figure it out. She's got to figure it out. Now, the thing <laughs> is that she is described, um, I think it was by Lauren Kessler, who wrote a book called The Happy Bottom Writing Club. I'll explain the name of the book in a bit. Um, as being a hurricane in many people's lives. Like she just blows in, blows out, leaves them forever changed. Now, this time when she decides she wants to fly, she's described as being visibly muscled. She's got short hair. She looks quite masculine. She knows what she wants to do. Um, And she decides she wants to fly after driving her cousin to flying lessons. And on one of her first lessons, the instructor decides he wants to freak her out. Um, He like goes into a spin, goes upside down. and then. (laughs) (laughs) see that was the desired that was the desired reaction but he asks her still want to fly and she like looks at him and she's wild-eyed and kind of like panting and like I imagine her pupils are dilated and she's like mate let's go again right now that was the best experience of my life and (laughs) (laughs) and he's like okay I'll teach you he wasn't hopeful he says lady I've had 33 women students, not one of them have soloed. So he's like, yeah, okay, I'll, 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 I'll teach you. I can't, can't promise anything, love, but let's give it a red hot go. His plane sounds like a piece of shit. So there's no parachutes because he couldn't afford them. They don't have an altitude gauge. They literally just like look out the window to be like, oh, I think we're about that high. Oh. <laughs> um, they don't have anything to tell if they're flying straight. So they hang a keychain. And they judge how it's swaying to um, tell if they're flying straight. <laughs> One time while they're training, they go into a spin, which is like, you know, when you're spinning towards the, the earth. And they did it a few times um, generally to practice. But this time they spin, they spin, 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 spin. They're about 50 feet before Ben, the, the trainer's name is, he, he fixes it. They get out of the plane. Pancho looks at Ben and she says, well, Ben, I've gotten to the point where nothing worries me anymore. And she looks at him and he's like shaking and pale (laughs) and sweaty. And he's like, we damn near got it. We almost spun in. And spun in means crash. That's how they refer to crash. And he's terrified. But she's still like, that was great fun. Why don't we do it again? Why don't we nearly die? (laughs) She later describes flying as um, making her feel like a sex maniac in a whorehouse. Yes. But at this, the thing is that at this period, and this was, I watched this video of this woman, Lauren Kessler, who was, who wrote the book on the on the topic, and she's talking about the planes of the period, and she says that at the time, they 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 were flying at ninety miles an hour or less, so easy to jump out of. 
And I was like, Lauren, Lauren. Yeah, what? In what world is it easy to jump out of a plane going at 90 miles or less? I mean, I know that that's a lot slower than jets, for instance, but still, still. You do it, Lauren, so easy. (laughs) Ben says that you need to stick six perfect landings in order to solo. Now she does it. After all the hours they spent together, she crocked the um. She lands the six perfect landings and within six hours of flying, he says, go for it. And apparently she just like races down the runway before he can even change his mind. Six hours of flying, she's already qualified. Yeah. Okay, that's what he okay. Said. okay. Yeah. He'll do 120 hours drive a car. Yeah, I reckon he was just like, you know what, I don't want to get in that with you again. So <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Do you know what? Um, it's funny because she actually describes flying as – more thrilling than love for a man and much less dangerous. Preach! These quotes! Yeah. Oh, where has Pancho been all my life? I don't know. She's very, very cool. She's a very interesting lady. She's my spirit animal. Now, the thing is that she's, um, she's great, great, great for one-liners, great in the sky, um, sounds charismatic as heck. She is terrible at money. So by 1933, she's burnt through two inheritances and it's not like she made bad investments. It wasn't really the Great Depression. It was just her buying horses and cars and houses and just like not making money, just just spending it. So she's got, I don't think she has a concept of budgeting at all. I don't think she even knows how to say the word. Very poor financial literacy. Um one person who reviewed the book on the topic describes Pancho Barnes as only wanting one thing more. So she's a, she is wild. She is an absolute wild character. But in a lot of ways, she's technically a better flyer than Amelia Earhart. So Amelia Earhart can do the distance, that kind of thing. But in terms of like um, manoeuvres and that sort of thing, she's actually a better flyer than Amelia Earhart. And um, she competes in the 1929 Women's Air Derby but is forced to withdraw after not this, – this doesn't really prove the earlier point, but she's forced to withdraw after literally hitting a truck on a runway. Which uh-huh. is like, with the plane. With the plane. <laughs> well, obviously it wasn't her walking. She's a great pedestrian. She, she, is, she is a skilled pedestrian, yeah. Um, so she hits a truck in the plane, which – yeah, but in 1930 she comes back. She's like, "This time, if there's no trucks involved, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it." And she wins the race. She um, breaks Amelia Earhart's world women's speed record with a speed of 315.74 kilometers an hour. And this must have felt really good because Amelia had previously called her a marginal pilot, which seems really mean. Shady lady, Amelia, you know better. You have to fight. But I also just love the image of these two, I guess, female pilots back in the day who were like literally fighting with each other about their flying prowess. Mm. You know? I think it's cool. I'm like, you know, if you're gonna have a if you're gonna have a fight, fight about your fight about your airspeeds, fight about your spinning and your and your maneuvers and Totally. That kind of thing. Wouldn't it be nice if there was enough enough space in the world for all the female pilots to have their mm-hmm. space? Yeah. So for that race, she was sponsored by a company called a union oil company. Um, and that contract 
expires. So she flies, she goes to Hollywood to work as a stunt pilot where she flies in several movies, including Howard Hughes' Hell's Angels in 1930. Now she's kind of been working her way up to this. She's been working um, as a set hand. She's been training her horses to run beside trains for films and she's been working as a stunt double. Whoa. Yeah, but she finds that it's not completely to her liking because the conditions are poor, uh, people are different parts paid variable rates and she's like, that's not fair. So she just sets up a union. She sets up the Associated Motion Picture Pilots Union. Yes. Which is cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, and apparently that happens after she has a fight with Howard Hughes about paying conditions, like Howard Hughes, which is holy moly, very cool. So this was for stunt people or just for pilots that work on So film? she was a pilot um, for the union. It was for pilots. Yeah. Yeah. But she also cool. worked as a stunt woman. Um, and she also organizes female pilots to provide emergency assistance during disasters and acts as a stunt actor for cowboys, throwing herself out of trains. But she's still not good with money, so she's earning money now, but she's still, like, burning through it. And so by 1935, she has only her Hollywood pad left. And she starts um, flying to Mexico and she takes people out for joy rides and charges $10 a pop. And one time an instructor wants to check her her license. He wants to go for a check ride. She's offended um, and so she decides to cut the engine mid-flight and, like, <laughs> does this dizzying kind of manoeuvre to show how good she is. <laughs> so she's broke. She has her L.A. pad, but that's that's about it. And this is when the desert starts calling to her, the Mojave Desert to be exact. Uh, this is a place where it's kind of a blank slate. You know, she can create her own world however she wants it. And she decides to purchase 180 acres of land in the Mojave Desert between two dried out lakes, one of which is actually the flattest part of the world, according to Guinness World Records. It's like this super flat, very, very flat. So um, she thinks, do you know what is the good thing about flat land? It is perfect as an airfield. Win, win, win. Yeah, Yes, and so she moves there with her 12-year-old son and at the time it's right near the March Army Air Base. So she decides to build what she calls the Rancho Oro Verde Fly-In Dude Ranch, also known as the Happy Bottom Riding Club. Now, a dude ranch, I googled, is basically a ranch that's designed for tourists and is a form of agritourism. A dude ranch? Oh. Like hey, D-U-D-E? D-U-D-E? Yeah, it's a dude ranch. A dude ranch. Ranch for the dudes. But then she nicknamed it Happy Bottom Place. Happy Bottom Riding Club. Happy Bottom. Happy Bottom. Happy Bottom Riding Club. Did she know how that sounded? I I think she, I definitely think she did. Happy Bottom Riding Club. (laughs) Apparently she called it the Happy Bottom Riding Club after one of, she sent one of her friends out on a horse and she asked how it was and he came back and said, I have a really happy bottom now. And so they nicknamed it the Happy Bottom Riding Club. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. I mean. Which I mean I guess it's good because sometimes you ride a horse and you're like, ouch. <laughs> so she builds up the Happy Bottom Riding Club to be basically the most happening place in the Mojave, more or less it sounds like. And because it's right near that um, air base, it's frequented by all the pilots, including this guy called Chuck Yeager who is credited with breaking the sound barrier and a guy I don't know if you've heard of him um name he's got a really weird name Buzz Aldrin what Buzz Aldrin astronaut (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, the astronaut. What? Yeah, the second man on the moon. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. She did rub shoulders and butts. And butts. Happy bottoms. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Buzz describes her as a brazen woman flying airplanes. And um, she just, she makes it into this big, it just sounds like a fun zone, like just this crazy resort in the middle of the desert. Um, She says that whoever is the first person to break the sound barrier will get a free steak dinner on her. That ends up being Chuck who breaks it in 1947, so he comes in, has steak dinner for breaking the sound barrier. And so the Happy Bottom Riding Club became famous as well for being the place where Chuck Yeager celebrated breaking the sound barrier. Um, and But that's like it's so much more than that. So she has bands in three nights a week. Everyone comes, pilots, the engineers, their wives. She has to make membership cards because it's so popular. Ends up with 9,000 members. People would fly in apparently. Whoa. There'd be um, people who were learning to fly or doing who were, you know, in the Air Force and they would ask to be rerouted through the Mojave just so they could go to the Happy Bottom Riding Club. So they could be flying somewhere completely random, really far away. And they'd be like, oh, uh, sorry, we've got to go through um, the Mojave just so they could go to this club. And that is so cool. Yeah, and it's got everything. So the Happy Bottom has got um, a kitchen, it's got an airway, it's got three-day rodeos with Godiva riders who I'm pretty sure they're naked ladies. Yes. What? Well, I mean, I don't really know what a Godiva rider is, but uh, so, yeah, people would fly. They're driving from, from L.A. Legendary parties. At one New Year's Eve party, she rides her horse into the lounge at midnight and shoots off a gun. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's just wild. Um, and in another party, she brings in three exotic dancers from Hollywood who perform a strip tease, and in her words, right down to their lovely naked bodies and not a damn thing wrong with it either. Yes, she's so forward. I love her. I know. It's great. <laughs> so forward. Um, Saturday afternoons, there was a pool there. People would dive into the pool naked. Well, the girls would dive in naked. And then the guys would just like jump in after them, either like in their undies or fully clothed because um, apparently there's very beautiful women. And she had people like Errol Flynn there, Veronica Lake, Elizabeth Ta- Taylor, um, Ronald Reagan, who would all race each other as well in air races. All of these all of these people, these Hollywood actors and just famous people came to the Happy Bottom Riding Club. Um, it's also the only hotel with aircon in the Mojave, which is a very compelling option uh uh which is quite fancy but her bar only sold three things it was scotch a highball or a beer and um if you ask a a bartender for something like a glass of rosé or a espresso martini um he would look at you like you were (laughs) completely on the wrong planet and (laughs) one customer once complained because the bartender was like stirring his cocktail with his index finger (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> but the bartender replies he says hey buddy the alcohol is going to kill the germs what are you worried about and um i think he had the drink he was like that's true that's it's sterile it's a fairly Back stiff drink isn't it yeah so everybody's just flying around totally lit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> naked <laughs> yeah. that's what it sounds like there's guns going off but then they come back and there's aircon. yeah Iconic, iconic. Yeah. This sounds like, and let me make sure I phrase this pop- properly, this sounds like the body positive feminist version of a Playboy Mansion Hugh Hefner party. <laughs> well, we'll get to that because there's a bit of that energy coming into it, I think. Ooh. But 
So one time after hearing that the feds were on their way, um, she hides a, a cache of smuggled Mexican alcohol in the desert. But then a storm comes and hit it and they've never found it. So there's still like this cache of Mexican alcohol somewhere in the desert. Let's go find it. Yeah. But there were questions. Was the Happy Button Riding Club just a dude ranch or was it everything else that it sounds like? Was it also a brothel? She would, and she would, she would recruit people. So she would send up a sign um, for girls saying vacation with pay on dude ranch. And she would travel into LA and look for girls who were flirty and talented, who could play the piano, who could sing. And she approached her recruitment drives for the staff on the ranch as casting calls. So she was looking at out of work actresses, models who were between jobs. And she would bring back the pictures to the ranch where she and her mates like Chuck Yeager would decide who they wanted to come work there. Oh, that's problematic. One time she literally put two nude girls in two sandwiches. Like she apparently, it sounds like they baked this massive freaking loaf of bread. I don't know how they did it. And then because some people asked for a good time and they came out with these two naked girls like sandwiching the sandwiches, which is just insane. Getting Wolf of Wall Street vibes too here now. What is happening? Yeah. Now, and apparently the local school principal used to get up early in the morning to walk around the area with a stick picking up the used condoms. Um, before the school kids would see them on their way to school. Oh, my God. I mean, when you first started describing people flying, having races, drinking, I was like, this could only go one way. This yeah. could only escalate. Yeah. But she maintained that it wasn't a brothel and she puts up a sign that says, we are not responsible for the bustling and hustling that may go on here. Lots of people bustling and some hustle, but that's their business and a very old one. Uh, but that she's still criticized. There's another dude who writes a book, um, Bill Bridgman, where he describes the Happy Button Writing Club as run by an extremely ugly woman. And when they go straight for looks is pathetic, honestly. She says, ugly I'll accept, but extremely ugly is taking it too far. I'll get that <laughs> son of a bitch when I write my book. Problem with Bill was that he was chasing one of my girls and having trouble catching her. He asked me to give him a little help or put in a good word for him, so to speak. I told him that he was a big grown man and that he shouldn't have to have any help in his girl chasing. He got really pissed off and has been sort of mad at me ever since. But, she added, Bill is a damn good pilot and after I take my pound of flesh for his smart-ass remarks, we'll have a belly laugh and everything will be okay. Wow. <laughs> but she, um, look, she never writes her book. Um, she's, she's very good at starting things, not the best at finishing them, which... Which is remarkable given how much she does finish. It makes you wonder how many things did she start, you know? Yeah. Mm. She still doesn't really know what she's doing with her money. She doesn't know much about business. She only knows um, if she has enough money to buy what she wants, so a horse or to fly somewhere. Um, But she describes herself at the Happy Bottom Riding Club as having more fun in a week than those weenies had in a lifetime. (laughs) And for the sake of immaturity, before we move on, the Happy Bottom Club did well and truly become... The Happy Bottom Club. Okay, continue. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. she she maintains that it wasn't, that it was nothing to do with her. And if it happened, it happened. But she wasn't, um, the I guess, the the owner. She wasn't running the, the operation there. But, yes, she um, she's still not great with money. She she um, she um decides to run for the L.A. County Board of Supervisors uh, and writes her name in skywriting every afternoon of the campaign, but she still <laughs> loses. It might have something to do with all the condoms that are apparently being left around the place. <laughs> Not very environmentally friendly. Yeah, I think that would probably limit 
the base a little bit. Um, <laughs> speaking of bases, in 1952, the United States Air Force. <laughs> that was a great segue. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's better than um, speaking of death in the last episode. <laughs> Speaking of condoms. Uh... That was, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Uh, the United, United States Air Force decides that they need to expand. They need a really long runway as they're testing planes running on atomic power. The only problem is that this runway is going to go directly across the Happy Bottom Riding Club. <gasps> yeah. So that's, a, that's an unhappy bottom riding club, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, the government... And it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of swallow a bunch of communities and the government lowballs all of them and everyone just basically says, yeah, okay, we'll take your stupid price and we'll move. Um, they offer her a price close to that of undeveloped land and she says, fuck you. And she sues the government three times, acting as her own attorney, which is very remarkable. Of course she did. Yeah. Yeah, she sues them three times. Uh, they say that she's, ha- she's um, leading a brothel which could explain why there's all the rumours now, but it was also a very savvy ploy because for them that that would just like rapidly reduce the value of the land because, you know, you're not meant to do it. Um, and she says, no, I don't. I, I really don't. And she, she fights, 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 fights. And at the height of her court battles in 1953, the Happy Bottom Riding Club burns down. Huh. Well... No one knows what started it, but it means that the value of the land has dropped very much closer to the offered rate. Now, one of her main arguments, which I think is a compelling argument against the um, U.S. Air Force, well, she she's like, she just wants what's fair. You know, they've offered her such a low rate that she's like, that's just not what it's worth. Can you pay me what, what it's worth? And she says, my grandfather literally founded the United, United States Air Force and I'm not running a brothel. And the court eventually finds in her favor and she's awarded um, $375,000 for the land and her name is cleared, but she still um, she still gives them the land and she has to leave. She goes on to train like dogs and horses, but um, it ends up sounding like she has quite a quiet life, although she's still active in the, the pilot and the aviation communities. But in 1975, March 30th, she dies. So... Pancho was meant to be the guest of honour at the Antelope Valley Area Museum's annual Barnstormers reunion. And Barnstormers, I googled. What are they, Lucy? Tell us. <laughs> barnstorming, um, it's pilots who would land their light planes in fields and use local barns as venues for um, air shows. So it was all about basically uh, Joy rides and really cool tricks and that kind of thing. And she was very, very good at doing the old barnstorming, which I didn't know that. Sounds like it was a cool community to be a part of. Like, yeah. sounds really cool. Yeah, totally. But yeah, so she's meant to be, she's meant to be the guest of honor at this reunion. And um, someone from the reunion tries to call her, but she doesn't answer. And then her son, Bill, finds her dead in her home. They think from breast cancer. Um, they think that she might have been dead for a week, which is really sad. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And so the Barnstormers party becomes an unofficial funeral service and she, her presence is very much there. So Pancho had planned to tell a story that night um, and the MC, who's really, really sad about it because he kind of, he was like a companion of Pancho's. He's a young guy but he sort of hung out with her a lot and uh, sounded like they were good friends and he knew a lot about her life. He decides to tell the story on her behalf and the story is so raunchy 
Like it is this dirty, dirty story that she was going to tell and the MC tells it. And apparently after he tells the story, there's silence and then there's nervous, raucous laughter. <laughs> the MC, Ted, loses his job. They're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so he does like sex story. <laughs> but, um, he's also a flyer and he says, I want to scatter her ashes over the Happy Bottom Riding Club. Uh, with her son Billy so they have to kind of fight to do it because by this stage it's actually quite a a protected facility like it's you know United States Air Force you can't just go go around flying there but um they eventually get clearance and they fly up into the sky and they say you can do one pass one pass of where the happy bottom riding club was and you got to come back down because we need the airspace but um they get up there and they can't get the the jar the lid of her canister the jar open the urn and so they have to keep doing these loops around the happy bottom riding clubs they try to get this urn open and at this stage like the general on the ground is like saying your time is up you need to calm down and um <laughs> the guys in the plane are like I can't read you sorry you're, you're breaking out as they're trying to get this urn open <laughs> and then finally they get the urn open and they scatter the ashes out the window and they they scatter the ashes out the window and they fall and they watch them fall gently towards the ground where they kind of, you know, blend in with the Mojave Desert. But then the wind changes and it blows the ash back into the cockpit. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so dramatic. Well, I don't feel like that's like her one last like shebang. Like it sounds yeah. so perfect for her. She she just she wanted to be there. She wanted to be in the plane with them. She wanted to go for one last joyride. What a fun legacy. Yeah, she was cool. Yeah, and she does have, she's got a massive, massive legacy. There's rooms named after her in the United States, um, Air Force. There's all sorts of things. In the Captain Marvel movie, there's a bar that they go to called Pancho's that's a reference, obviously, to Pancho. Oh, that's cool. cool. All of these things. She's, she's, she's a very big figure in the, in the Air Force. She's, she's considered one of the biggest f- friends of the, of the Air Force. And that is the story of Pancho Barnes. Oh, amazing. What a queen. She's cool, isn't she? Yes. yes. She did have a fun life. You were not wrong. No. I have FOMO from her life. <laughs> yeah. You have FOMO from her life and I have just fear from her life. It uh, sounds like my nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much, Lucy, for that thrilling story my bum is very happy after hearing that (laughs) happy bottom riding club yep (laughs) if you want to get in touch with us there's a couple of ways you can do it one of them is our social medias which is fierce females podcast on instagram fierce females history on facebook we are still getting that spotify playlist together so keep sending your suggestions we're loving them Yes. Um, you can also email us at history at gmail.com, just like Jason did. Thank you again for your lovely email, Jason. Or you can hire out, or, or you know, if you're, if you're an aviator yourself, either or, hire out a Skyrider and write us a message in the sky. <laughs>